Hello. I confess to standing accused of strangling guitars since my early teens. I now restrict my musical anarchy to private functions and personal amusement, but back in the day, I frequently attended and often ran music clubs. I was consistently impressed by the support of butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, and a panoply in between of people for whom playing an instrument was the solace of a mere dilettante, but whose talents relegated minds squarely to the touchlines. Raw ability, sometimes sheer virtuoso brilliance, was commonplace, and I was routinely taken aback by someone who may have spent his or her day wielding a wrench, stacking shells in a supermarket, or teaching the next generation, before then demonstrating some alternate sublime musical skill at night that, outwardly, no one would ever have correlated. And a thought that always struck me was that for every one of my clubs there must have been hundreds thousands around the country doing exactly the same thing. So, and here's the cynic emerging, why do the same half a dozen faces keep appearing on my television screen? Rather like Maslow's hierarchy of need, a motivational theory in psychology comprising a model of human requirements depicted as hierarchical levels within a pyramid, one might loosely consider the postulate as a model of recognition and accomplishment. There is one figure who, having risen to the head, thus denies all of those in the ever-broadening layers below the chance to share it. My more utopian GF rectilinear tower block of attainment, which doesn't actually exist, with a platform of spaces at the top that can be shared, would arguably be a much more equitable model. But hey, life doesn't work like that. How so? Well, hands up all those who recall the first man on the moon being Neil Armstrong and his one giant leap for mankind. Now, who was the second? And the third? The fourth? Hmm. I see arms dropping like stones as we descend that pyramid, the curious phenomenon of an identical achievement markedly recollected only by dint of the one at the peak hogging the sweet spot. Celebi. Visitors to Starbridge can enter the Crown Centre via the entrance off the High Street to be confronted, if that's the correct word because they're actually overhead, by a sprawling collection of ceiling adornments courtesy of monumental metal sculptor Luke Perry, depicting the great and the good associated with the area. These include the likes of author J.R. Tolkien, cameo glass engraver John Northwood, Led Zeppelin singer Robert Plant, who once upon a time visited one of my aforementioned music clubs, Harry Potter's creator J.K. Rowling, gosh, modesty for Fen, there's even one there for yours truly, which makes it all the more humbling because mine hangs close to one Frank Foley, a man whose boots I fear that in comparison with his mark on history, I would not be fit to lace. But who he? Who he indeed, although his achievements be memorable, he is yet several steps from the top of the pyramid and, ipso facto, is largely unrecognised outside his confines. Because blocking his progress to the pinnacle of Frank's pyramid is one Oscar Schindler, whose position there was probably cemented in perpetuity by Steven Spielberg's 1993 film Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler, 1908-1974, was a German industrialist and a member of the Nazi party who is credited with saving the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust by employing them in his factories. His connections helped him protect his workers from deportation and death in the concentration camps. As war progressed, Schindler had to give Nazi officials ever larger bribes to keep his workers safe. 
By July 1944, the SS began closing down the easternmost concentration camps and deporting prisoners westward. Schindler convinced the commandant of a nearby camp to allow him to move his factory to the Sudetenland, thus sparing his workers from almost certain death. Schindler continued to bribe SS officials until the end of the war, by which time he'd spent his entire fortune on backhanders and black market purchases. After the war, Schindler moved to Argentina. He went bankrupt in 1958 and left his wife to return to Germany, where he relied on financial support from Schindlerjuden, Schindler Jews, the people who he had saved. Named as Righteous Among the Nations by the Israeli government in 1963, he was buried on Mount Zion, the only member of the Nazi party to be thus honoured. What a story! What a film! But no such universal recognition as yet for Frank Foley. Major Francis Edward Foley, CMG, 1884-1958, was a British secret intelligence service officer. As a passport control officer in Berlin, he helped thousands of Jews escape from Nazi Germany after Kristallnacht and before the outbreak of the Second World War. Originating from Somerset, following a colourful career, he retired to Stourbridge, where his exploits remained largely unheralded until 1961, when the Daily Mail carried his story, written by his widow. Foley is primarily remembered as the British Schindler. At the 1961 trial of Adolf Eichmann, he was described as a scarlet pimpernel, who is estimated to have saved tens of thousands of people. Mentioned in dispatches, and the recipient of numerous awards, including the Companion of the Order of St. Michael and St. George, he was tasked with questioning Hitler's deputy, Rudolf Hess, after Hess's flight to Scotland. Like Schindler, Foley too was accorded the status of righteous among the nations. He's buried in Stourbridge Cemetery, and a plaque at the entrance to Mary Stevens Park is dedicated to him. A 2007 film about his life didn't pass the planning stage, but he at least enjoys the honour of several naming ceremonies, including, peculiarly, a West Midlands bus. So, glancing down the pyramid slopes, how many more understated heroes of the Holocaust are out there just beyond our view? The question itself suggests its own answer. We may never know. But for sure they are, and my own appreciation was amplified substantially when I recently trawled through some archive Wales Online reportage, which I gratefully acknowledge, and happened across the extraordinary story of Winifred Marjorie Williams. Born in Hastings in 1898, the daughter of Welsh journalist John Williams and his German wife, she was adopted by relatives at a young age when her parents died. Winifred could easily have stayed in Britain, perhaps even Brecon, about 20 miles from the barn, where her father's family lived. Instead, she became a Nazi sympathiser. She married Siegfried Wagner, son of composer Richard Wagner, but was merely being used to conceal Siegfried's homosexuality. Despite this, the union was a success, producing four children in quick succession. Hitler was an admirer of Wagner's music, and through Winifred's admiration of Hitler and his politics, it was inevitable that their paths would cross. When Hitler was jailed in the early 1920s, it was Winifred who provided him with a paper on which he penned Mein Kampf. During the 1930s, a widowed Winifred was tipped to marry the Fuhrer, who became a father figure to her children, and after the end of the war she maintained she would love to see him again. Although Winifred remained faithful to Hitler, she denied that she supported the Nazi party. According to a biographer, Bridget Hamann, Winifred was reportedly disgusted by Hitler's persecution of the Jews. 
Evidently a complex personality, despite her devotion to the man, she was also a Welsh Schindler-type figure rescuing dozens from persecution by dint of her association with him and her insistence on the release of Jewish musicians. When the war ended and Winifred was put on trial, 50 Jews sent letters of support and 30 more testified that she had saved their lives. She died in 1980. So, two contrasting characters of disparate backgrounds, with roots on either side of the Celtic border, yet both sharing a common thread of humanity towards their fellows. There must be many more, but without the intervention of the likes of Mr Spielberg, they and their ilk are fated never to attain the pinnacle of that pyramid resolutely occupied by Oscar Schindler. Enjoy your black country, and do join me again soon for more tales from the barn.